and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Riders of Justice. Hello and welcome back to the Contrarian, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined once again and as always by my fellow Rider of Justice this evening, Julio Oliveira. Julio, uh, the foreign films have made their way back to the main timeline for us here. And fired up here is Mad Mickelson. Is this his debut on the main feed? On the main feed, yes. What did we talk about uh, with him? I know, you know, we talk about Rogue One every now and then. And we've both watched uh, The Hunt. Is that what it's called? Uh, I called it the not fun movie. Uh, <laughs> yes. I know it, whenever it's come up, we both back away slowly. Yeah. We're like, now let's talk about something else. Uh, but yeah, we know. We know of him. He's the... Which Bond is he the bad guy in? Casino Royale. That's right. Yep. He weeps blood. So. He's Hannibal. He is? Sure. In, take your word. On TV. Not, not in a movie. Doctor Strange. That's another place he's come up from. Cause oh, that, there you go. That was one you had me watch. Whatever the case. Uh, in none of those movies does he sport uh, nearly as glorious a beard as he sports in this one. He's accompanied by a, a band of misfits in this as well. Danish misfits. Danish misfits. There you go. I saw you on Twitter. You made the Big Bang Theory reference, and it's again, inescapable. Well, it, Julio <laughs> runs our Twitter, and I do not condone the references he makes on there. <laughs> Alex, it has to be acknowledged because anybody who's watched the Big Bang Theory would instantly make the connection when they watch Riders of Justice, and I I'm glad we're getting it out of the way early enough because I don't think that this is. Um, a clever point to make. It's an obvious point to make. That's why I want to make it early. This is an action version of the Big Bang Theory. Like if the Big Bang Theory got together with Die Hard or something, you know, that the really quirky scientists, only instead of being in a sitcom, they they find themselves in this revenge plot. Of course, I don't know the names of that, but you know, the characters. So Otto, right? The guy with the with the arm, mm-hmm. uh, he would be Johnny Galecki. Uh, Leonard on the show. Leonard <laughs> would be uh, Jim Parsons. He'd be Sheldon. And they're like the two main characters. And after that, it gets a little uh, fuzzy because um, what's the name of the guy that's uh, that's named like Cheese? Uh, Emmenthaler. Emmenthaler. He's, he's a little too angry to be either Howard or 
uh, or Raj. But if I had to choose, like I would put him as a Howard, just because he's just so you know Howard's an engineer, and this guy is very much into the, the computers and the cables and all that stuff. So he's like an angry Howard. All of you Big Bang Theory fans, uh, you're probably nodding in agreement, maybe smiling in recognition. Who you're welcome. Who watches Big Bang Theory <laughs> that would listen to our podcast? I mean, I would. <laughs> Well, that's and it drives me crazy about you. (laughs) I'm sorry. I think Big Bang Theory is absolutely trash. So fortunately, how many many Big Bang Theory episodes have you watched? I think I watched one whole episode one time. Not enough. You need to you need to give it. No, no. At least uh, an hour of your time. Big Bang Theory is like what Trump supporters watch and think all video game players are. That's what they think of it is. Like that's okay. That's on Trump supporters. That's not on the show. <laughs> there you go. Offended our Big Bang Theory fan base and all of our Trump supporters in the first two minutes of recording here. What is more likely, Alex, that we have listeners that watch the Big Bang Theory or that we have listeners that are Trump supporters? Yeah, that's it's unlikely. Or no, what's happening is the one person who's both like on the pie graph. You know, he's the in between. <laughs> he or she, I should say, and it's his first episode, uh, their first episode, listening to it, and they're turned off forever. They're not even going to make it to us fantasy casting the American version of this film. That's <laughs> what I was going to say. Julio can make his Big Bang Theory analogies and comparisons, and that's fine because I uh, worked a little bit of fantasy casting along the way too. So. Love it. Um, and also, I yeah. didn't even get to the part where uh, I guess the, the Matt Mickelson's daughter is Kaylee Cuoco. Not Allison Pill. <laughs> Danish Allison Pill. The problem is, in my mind, that was I was like, hey, you know, she looks like Allison Pill, kind of. And, and in my mind, Allison Pill is like my age, but I still like in my brain have. Um, Dan in real life and Scott Pilgrim versus the world Allison Pill. Like that's... Yeah, Allison Pill has grandchildren by now. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing I've ever seen her and she was Zelda Fitzgerald in uh, uh, Midnight in Paris. But Allison Pill will not be showing up here, nor will any of the cast of The Big Bang Theory, thank goodness. Uh, as we discuss the 2020, uh, might as well just make it controversial now. Uh, it's billed as a Danish action comedy film. Uh, I dub it as a action comedy Christmas film uh, meant to be viewed. <laughs> as long as at... you don't have issue with the Danish part, because I don't think that that's up for debate. Yes, I'm sorry. That, that one of those words is set in stone. Uh, but I this is in my Christmas rotation, and I heavily recommend that you do the same. If you have not yet seen it, we'll talk a little bit more about how we really feel about it in the second half and whether or not we get that give that resounding endorsement. But... Uh, this is a unique one, Julio, in that this is not the first time we've talked about this movie in Contrarian's canon. It's uh, made its way to our patron. Yes, this was... Uh, it's funny how all this works. Look at, look at the, the tangled web that we weave. Because a year ago, two years ago, I don't know, whenever we started doing QVRs, this was one of the early QVRs, and patron Jason Nerdovert gave you uh, Writers of Justice to do a mm-hmm. quick video review on. Uh, the same Jason Nerdovert who was responsible for our previous episode, Dark Crimes, which was set in Poland. So Jason has a thing for European movies. And somehow we've managed to get two European movies back to back this month on The Contrarians. Only this time it's courtesy of Katie Noti, who I guess also have feelings about Writers of Justice and decided that 
uh, quick video review is not enough. They want uh, the whole enchilada. <laughs> they want contrarian's corner and real talk. I wonder if they have enchiladas in Australia? Denmark. Oh, Denmark. Denmark. <laughs> So if you are one of our wonderful patrons, you may already know how Julio and I feel about this movie, but we're going to put up a wonderful effort here in the first half, uh, which brings us to what we do here on The Contrarians. If this is your first time listening, what we do is we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as certified fresh with that beautiful IP, that saucy logo that uh, before the death of physical media was being plastered on many DVD cases. I think it's um, like they'll use it on Twitter accounts and shit still in you know marketing for the film. But we'll find one of those. Usually like 85% and above is where we shoot. And what we'll do is uh, bring that movie down to size, discuss maybe some of the, the uh, negative traits of it that critics, for whatever reason, is swept under the rug or just flat out ignored, be it bad acting, questionable storytelling, uh, poor direction, cinematography score, whatever we can sink our teeth into and put a negative spin on. And conversely, uh, as you would imagine, we'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated, usually about 30% below, one of those gnarly green splotches, rotten, and we'll build that movie up, find the positive merit in it, be it acting, bold direction or storytelling choices, score is one soundtrack that we find ourselves relying on heavily from time to time. Uh, or just, you know, maybe this little misunderstood masterpiece that the critics just didn't give its fair props. Our mission statement is set out for mostly two reasons. One, uh, to nail the point home that this shit is subjective. If you set your mind to it, you can be as truly over the moon or as cynical about something as your heart desires. And number two, uh, we find ourselves a lot of the times faced with people that don't quite understand what those scores on Rotten Tomatoes mean. No, they don't mean that if it's 90%, that 90% of the movie is good or that it gets an A or any type of pomp and circumstance. The reason a lot of people find themselves not quite knowing how to read that system is because Rotten Tomatoes doesn't really go out of its way to explain potentially what that means, what their scores mean. Hulu and I try to do that and also put our own little twist on it. Being that, Riders of Justice is at 96% with the beautiful certified fresh logo. We'll be spending this first half of the podcast cutting it down and talking about maybe why uh, critics jump the gun, no pun intended, with assimilating that score. Julio, that comprises the first half of our podcast, which we call Contrarian's Corner. If listeners want to know how we really feel about our movie du jour, they just have to stick around for the second half, part two. That is correct. Part two, the aptly titled Real Talk, is where we tell you how we really feel. If you watched Alex's quick video review of uh, Writers of Justice, I mean, that was at least a year ago. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you've seen the movie again since then. Or maybe maybe your feelings have changed. And I, I was not part of that video review. I made a couple comments on the Patreon page, but even my letterbox review is just a Big Bang Theory joke. So really, Sad. this is where you're finally going to get to to hear what we really think of the movie, how we experience it, regardless of the tomato meter score. For that, of course, we have to we have to explain that this movie is not 96% good. We have to do Contrarian's Corner. I'm going to be really mean about it. I think the best place to start is that this movie severely lacks an awesome opening song that says writers of justice in it. It doesn't have like a theme song or a title track. I just think of like, you know, the Megadeth song symphony of destruction. I hear that guitar riff, but like, 
Riders of Justice. And, you know, while a la like shoot 'em up or movies like that, the titles are hitting the screen like they're being shot out of a gun. And uh, sadly, that that was not to be. But Julio, that's my take on the opening credits of this thing. But I guess before we actually get into the story, uh, we should see what quotes you have for us. Comprising the 96% of positivity, what were critics saying about Writers of Justice? Yes, I I browsed through a whole lot of uh, fresh quotes on Rotten Tomatoes. None of them mentioned the opening credits, Alex. I don't know if that's because they agree with you or because they were too busy just drooling over Matt Mickelson. Uh, we'll see. We're going to start with Kimberly Elizabeth from Nightmare on Film Street, who says, Writers of Justice oscillates between intense action and intense grief like a light switch with a broken dimmer mode. That sounds headache-inducing, but I agree. <laughs> it, it goes back and forth between action and, and sadness, and I would add comedy, too. The, the dimmer is definitely broken. I, I'm sorry, I still haven't got over Nightmare on Film Street. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Kimberly. That's how you get them. You get them to click. Next, Brad Wheeler from Globe and Mail says, A pitch-black comedy about questions, coincidences, and ideas that pile up faster than the body count. I disagree. <laughs> I think the body count piles up a lot faster. I also would have a hard time referring to this as like a pitch-black comedy. It's... um the comedy is very blatant and in your face. And I think, you know, unless someone has a great aversion to movies where there's violence, there, there's con- there's some sort of comedy for kind of everybody in this. It's not like, um, I don't know, what's a black comedy we've talked about before, Julio? Pretty Persuasion? Yes. That's, <laughs> that's a perfect example of like, that is a black comedy and the, like the subject material in it uh, is not something that, 80% of the human population is going to laugh at. Whereas like here you got jokes about, you know, a big boy wanting to eat some food or, um, literally what I thought it was like, Oh, the big guy likes pizza. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't, you know, the nerds complaining about the screen resolution and shit like that. So <laughs> a little bit of something for everybody here. Uh, next Mark Mickelson slips on a banana peel and goes, Whoa, <laughs> accidentally kills someone. <laughs> yeah. Next, Mark Kermode from Kermode and Mayo's Film Review. He says, fun in a, quotation marks, what on earth is happening kind of way. What on earth is happening? That's, that's usually not a good sign when you're asking yourself that and you're watching a movie. Does he have difficulty following the plot? It's pretty simple. It's, it's too simple in a way. I mean, we just did a movie called Death Sentence that is a very similar plot. Matt Mickelson here is the Kevin Bacon, uh, and then uh, he just goes on a rampage. The only difference is that now he has uh, wacky sidekicks. But this movie doesn't have a John Goodman, so... Sadly. Not as good as Dead Sentence. We're going to close with Diego Battle from Otrocines.com, who says, Anders Thomas Jensen, the director, vindicates new masculinity, one that doesn't obligate us to be perfect machines and providers, but beings open to mistakes, experimentation, comprehension, weakness, and emotions. Alex, I fail to see how this new masculinity. <laughs> I just want somebody to explain to me how this new masculinity is different from the old masculinity. Because uh, it seems like in the end, both masculinities deal with problems the same way by shooting them. 
Has he not seen any Batman movie ever? <laughs> Old Batman, new Batman. Which Batman is the one that's open to mistakes, experimentation, comprehension, weakness, and emotions? I mean, Batman in general Clooney? is, but no. Uh, probably Keaton. <laughs> open to mistakes. Open, he, to, uh, open he rips, to going nuts. <laughs> he rips his cowl off at the end of the second one. Come on. <laughs> emotions. I, I'm having a hard time with this. It's like as much as I want to agree with parts of that, it's like, yes, but the point of the movie is to see Mads Mikkelsen walking around with an assault rifle gunning people down. <laughs> as he wipes his tears. <laughs> as he understands that he still has a daughter to raise and that he's not done a good job of it so far. <laughs> All right. Well, those are the quotes. Alex, let's let's do Contreras Corner. All righty. So we'll uh, visit our friends at Wikipedia to kind of give us an idea of what kicks this off. It is Christmas time, and we see a uh, either a grandpa. It looks like a grandpa and his granddaughter, and asking what she wants, and she wants a blue bike for Christmas. We see a blue bike getting stolen, and we quickly find out that it belongs to uh, the lead female in this, Matilda. Played by Andrea Hike Gedenberg. Gedenberg. Uh, we're dealing with some names that are foreign to me here, so I apologize ahead of time for any mispronunciations. But uh, Mads Mathilde, Mikkelsen, it's pretty easy. Mads, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't let us fool you. Mathilda loses her mother in a train accident, and her father, Marcus, a serving soldier in Afghanistan, comes home to console his grieving daughter. Matilda and Marcus find it difficult to come to terms with the tragedy causing strain in their relationship. However, Marcus is approached by a man named Otto, who was on the same train with Marcus's wife, who informs him that the train accident wasn't a coincidence, but a planned murder to eliminate a key witness about giving evidence against the leader of the Riders of Justice motorbike criminal gang. Yeah, in addition to a very shockingly bearded Mads Mikkelsen and his military fatigues here, the movie starts pretty hot and heavy with a an act of what appears to be an act of terrorism and a, a train bombing. And as we mentioned, our other male lead Otto, who had just been released from his job due to a failed presentation he gave was on the, the train and actually volunteered his seat to the wife mother that, that we lose here in the opening stanza of the film. Um, and he feels just awful about it and believes as we mentioned here, that this was no accident, it was no coincidence, it was indeed a um, a planned attack, an act of terrorism, a bombing, whatever, however you want to word it, but he thinks that's what it is, so he begins putting together a case. He is the Charlie Day meme, the, the gif of Charlie Day, yep. with like a whole bunch of sticky notes on his wall, all connected with yarn. I found myself thinking of signs, our conversation back in the back in that chapter of the Shyamalan anthology, we're trying to figure out if uh, M. Night Shyamalan was actually a true believer, somebody who who bought what he was saying in that movie, you know, that everything happens for a reason and that mm -hmm. everything is connected. And uh, I think that um, Anders Thomas Jensen, you get a feeling he's a, he's a big science fan. And uh, I don't know if Shyamalan believed what science was preaching, but this dude definitely does. That's what this movie is about. That's what this movie is built upon. This idea that 
everything is connected, everything happens for a reason, and that and that we can trace the 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 true origin of something. You know, if you go f- far back enough, this guy Otto, his his idea, you know, because I guess because his mind operates in that on that frequency, he instantly starts making connections, and he sees a guy that steps out of the out of the train right before the explosion happens. Therefore, that guy's a suspect. And also, this guy threw away a sandwich and a drink that he had barely tasted. And that makes him even more suspicious. Now, that kind of stuff is silly to people like you and me. But he is convinced, you know, that everything is connected. And so, therefore, that guy must be a terrorist. This must be a terrorist attack. There's no way that it's an accident. There's no accidents in this world. Just like... Well, and he does, like, the numeric calculations. And, you know, it's... The proverbial million to one that this is actually a, uh, an accident and coincidence. He presents this all to the local police force, and they just assume he's a quack. I'm just like, oh yeah, yes. What's Wiggum say? Sure thing, Mister Jackass. I'll take your information. <laughs> yeah, but but see, if you were to put this guy in the world of science, he would also do the same thing, right? Like he would be like, there's no way he would be one of those people arguing that Mel Gibson's wife didn't die in a freak accident. No, she died because this would eventually set up the events of the movie so that the alien wouldn't kill whichever Colking is in that movie. So <laughs> everything is connected. Everything happens for a reason. And uh, in this case, I mean, I guess we never hear him because he gets fired for, for putting forward <laughs> this type of thinking. But what does he think that th- that's going to happen next? Like, y- you know, because it's one thing to use this logic to go backwards. Like, oh, we had this this explosion and so i go backwards and figure out that it's part of a terrorist plan or it was a terrorist attack but Mm -hmm. when i go forward you know if this happened for a reason what's what's the purpose of this thing going forward is the purpose to like get me to be friends with matt mickelson to get me a new family i i wish that the movie focused a lot more in those ideas because even if i don't think that they're true like i don't really buy into that you know i didn't buy into it when it was science i don't buy into it here but Mm -hmm. I, i find that more interesting than, oh, Matt Mickelson is going to load a gun and just shoot a bunch of people, <laughs> which is what this movie ends up being about. So Otto is accompanied by his friend and I guess his buddy, his partner in crime, Leonard, who uh, clearly David Strathairn, if we're doing an American version of this. <laughs> so who's Otto? Because I'm guessing you're not going to put Johnny Galecki as Otto. I couldn't figure, I don't know who Johnny Galecki is, but. Um, yes, you do. You Do watch I? one episode of The Big Bang Theory, then you know who he is. He's Leonard. He's dating Kelly Cuoco in the show. I don't know who that is. It looks like Chris D'Elia. Jigalicki has glasses. He was in Roseanne back in the day. I know the, the Parsons fella and um, the white guy with the bowl cut was on Norm MacDonald's show one time, so I know him from that. All right. Well, he's neither. So, okay. uh, well, who are you going to cast? Paul Giamatti? Maybe I was trying to figure that out. Like Joaquin would be perfect, but it's like would too big. Would Joaquin be able? <laughs> really? Do you think he's too big of a star for like not no. to headline this? No, no, because I want to see what he can do with Mads Mikkelsen because Mads is staying. I hate to break oh, it to you. Okay, and no disrespect to uh, Nikolaj Lykas and Lars Bregman. And eventually Nicholas Bro, who's Emmenthaler. But, you know, we got to think about, like, if we redo this, who's stepping up to the plate? 
And I think Joaquin would probably be right for this role because I just see that big beard. Like, you know, get him kind of like uh, gaunt like he was in The Master, but um, get a beard going, that crazy hair. I don't know. Do you have any other pr- potential prospects in mind for the role of Otto? I don't think I can beat Joaquin now that you've sold me on the idea. And imagine like the comedy between Joaquin Phoenix and David Strathairn. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> Well, and now it feels like David. I mean, I love David Strathairn, but now he's a little out of his league. You had oh. Matt Mickelson and Hawking Phoenix. Now you need, you know, bigger names. Strathairn well, can be like the guy that fires Hawking Phoenix. Well, you're going to need to keep that mentality in mind because I'm for the Emmenthaler. I'm really expecting this actor I put in the role. To, he's going to have to step up his game. It would be, <laughs> it would be the biggest undertaking of his career. So, uh, so not Jack Black. No, no. So do you feel bad for Mads Mikkelsen here as he comes home? We do get this really like kind of gut-wrenching scene of he says he wants to see his wife and the doctor explains, you know, no, you don't. You know, there's not much of her left to see. And, you know, he's a hardened man from battle and he insists I want to see her. And we don't, uh, thankfully, don't see the the wife in her state, but we see his reaction to it. Um, How are you feeling for uh, Marcus here, Marcus Hansen? You feeling for him or... You think maybe if he had been home and not at battle, this wouldn't have happened? What's going through your mind? Well, yeah. I mean, in a way, this is all his fault, right? Because as proven by, by Otto's system, if he hadn't called to tell his wife that he was going to stick around the war for another three months, then she wouldn't have decided to tell the daughter, to, hey, let's just skip school today. Let's take the train to the city. And then she wouldn't have died in that accident. So... No, I don't feel bad for him because it's all his fault. But also, he is a terrible father. So even if I felt bad for him at the very beginning of the movie, uh, as the movie goes on, pretty quickly you lose all sympathy for him. Because I understand that he's a damaged person and he he has trouble relating to his daughter. But he is just so out of line in almost every scene that I had a hard time rooting for him. You know, I'll root for, for the scientists because at least they... They're underdogs, uh, even when they're annoying. But this guy, he's he's just too aggressive and too 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 sullen. I understand <laughs> he just lost his wife, but it, there are ways to to handle uh, you know living in a society. We live in a society, Alex. <laughs> he can't just uh, smack people around and and just bully them into doing whatever he needs to be done. Are you are you a softie? Are you are, were you feeling for Matt Mickelson the entire time? I was initially, but then he like doesn't budge at all and like just gets worse and worse in terms of accepting, you know, what's happening and showing his feelings, I guess you would say, and uh, responding to what's happening in a healthy manner that any sympathy that I did have for him here in the opening act kind of dissipates by the end. But also he's, I think that we are uh, conditioned to not like him very much just because of the career that he's built. What's the most sympathetic thing he's done? I mean, he plays a drunk teacher in uh, that movie that got him an Oscar nomination a couple of years ago. That might be like the closest he, he's been to not being a villain. Because in Rogue One, he was working for the Empire. Doctor Strange, he was the, the main bad guy. He was the Bond villain in Casino Royale. He was Hannibal. He was eating people in the TV show Hannibal. You know, you got to ease into it. You can't ask me to get behind Matt Mickelson. <laughs> All of a sudden, just because he lost his wife, I I think I need like a transitional couple of movies where he's kind of like a nice guy. He can be like the best friend of the hero. 
And then finally, a few years later, you gave him this this protagonist role where I'm supposed to feel bad for him. But this was too sudden, too sudden, it's too much. You can't just take him from like, you know, playing Hitler to being uh, Tom Hanks's character in Philadelphia. You gotta, you gotta buffer it a little bit. Alex, he killed Dan Fogler in Hannibal season one. Oh my god! You can't just forgive that. He needs a decade of like shining up for us to, be, to <laughs> yes. feel sorry for him. Uh, as we mentioned, Otto and his friend Leonard uh, present this theory to Mads uh, Marcus, and he begins seeing some potential merit in what they're saying uh, that this gang member was targeted because he's going to testify and you know potentially put these leaders of the Riders of Justice away for a long time. There was a suspicious man on the train, and so they think they have it all figured out. How expensive is uh, fast food? In Denmark, Alex. That, that the guy the, couldn't believe he threw away a sandwich. It's a key plot point. Be the, the equivalent of what? I mean, because then later in the movie, you find out that the guy threw that away and he went and got McDonald's. So that was not McDonald's. That was like, what? Quiznos? Yeah. Whataburger? Man. Well, I would be suspicious of someone who threw away Whataburger. But uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe like a uh, one of those sandwiches you get at Starbucks, maybe. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. He he throw away his uh, impossible breakfast sandwich. <laughs> no, they have that like uh, bacon egg with gouda cheese. That, that thing's pretty legit. But yeah, regardless, it's like ten dollars with a six dollar drink. So you know you're looking at almost a twenty dollar investment. And he just refuses to believe that this could be a possibility that some someone would do this with their life and their money. And unfortunately, he begins to convince the man who owns a lot of automatic weapons that this is the case as well. <laughs> Cops don't believe it's it. So easy. <laughs> Cops don't believe it, so they have to take matters into their own hands. Meanwhile, he's being a really piss-poor father. Uh, he hits his daughter's boyfriend for talking back. I don't mind that, because that kid deserved it. I've been told that's been the downfall of our country, is when um, other people could discipline children that weren't theirs. <laughs> have you ever been in a situation where you almost got smacked by the father of the girl you were dating? Uh, probably un- unbeknownst to me though, I was, I probably said something stupid or whatnot, but I remember being disciplined by other people's parents, not like hit, but yeah. I mean, Matt's gives him a black eye. So I think he, he crossed it. the line. <laughs> it's a grown I, man, a grown veteran. Like he's, he hit him with an open hand. He didn't punch him. <laughs> I, I'm team Marcus on this one. <laughs> so you think, so you think the daughter is overreacting? Yeah. She's a teenage girl. Of course she is. And then the next day, he's just making eggs. He's like, I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's that's that whole, that's the generation. They, they've they gotten way too comfortable with being able to say whatever they want without getting punched in the face. So maybe now, <laughs> whatever his name, DJ Fruit Roll-Up or whatever that character is, si- Sirius? Cyrus? Sirius? Like the, like the radio station. I guess. Yeah, Sirius. That's it, because they asked one of the writers is like, who is Sirius? Um, the, the guy says, "Why so serious?" <laughs> Boo. <laughs> More pressingly, though, uh, we eventually find out. But if you're watching this, you're thinking, "Why does this auto guy care so much, man? He lived. He made it. Go out there and celebrate. Live your life, brother. Fly over to Vegas and bet all your money away. Or I don't know. They gotta have like uh, a good ice cream shop somewhere in Denmark. Go there. Treat yourself." But he seems really obsessed with this situation. But as Marcus continues to struggle, Otto begins 
putting together his findings, presenting them, and explains, you know, myself and Leonard, we still have uh, one last, you know, we got to put the whole triple threat back together. And that's uh, Emmenthaler, who's a heavy set fellow they go to visit, and they bribe into hearing out with uh, a pizza, as we mentioned, because all fat people love pizza. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as a fat guy who loves pizza, I can't argue with that stereotype too much. But all right, Julio, so this is where it becomes interesting. Brian Baumgartner. I'm asking him to step it up and give us the performance of his career. We're gonna we're gonna wow. put a, wi- a wig on him with a, a you know a man bun on top like Emmenthaler has. <laughs> put the mustache on him and just say, "This is yours for the taking, man." Dude, <laughs> who do you want to be? <laughs> do you want to be Justin Bartha in <laughs> Geely, or do you want to be Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler? It's up to you now. <laughs> Uh, you might be flying too close to the sun with this one. <laughs> it just, I, I can't see it. I would love to see it, but he's he's Kevin. I don't think that he can ever be anything but Kevin. We could also, you know, do the thing where the him being a heavy set fellow isn't part of the act, and the, I mean that just opens up a world of possibilities. You, Paul Giamatti, you mentioned earlier. I don't know if he's too old for that role, but he could be great with the little, you know, knot top and the mustache. Um, Want to stay away from the freaks and geeks crew? They, those guys get enough work as it is. Um, you can go against type, and so he's not a heavy set fella. He's like a rip dude, and you just give it to Ben Affleck. No, no, you don't want Ben, ben Affleck. Ben doesn't belong in here. <laughs> Going for that Oscar, it would. It wouldn't like if you took like a real hunk and put him in the role. It would kind of kill it. You, you got. You can't. You know that's like. Well, we'll just do Justin Timberlake. We'll put him in there. <laughs> But but you uh but you have uh you know he goes raging bull he he actually eats the pizza he's uh you know he spends a three months of pre production and just bulks up or I guess we just keep the ball rolling and put uh, Brendan Fraser in there <laughs> typecast now <laughs> the second half of his career he's just playing big dudes fuck it Benny Safty put him in a mustache and a, and a knot top get him in there because he's got kind of an unnerving presence and whatnot so i mean we got some possibilities here i'm sticking with brian Baumgartner, and i think we roll the dice on him giving us you know like denzel and training day just something we're we're, <laughs> we're not expecting i guess in a way it's fitting well here's the problem if you're gonna emulate if, if you're casting brian Baumgartner in the in the sense that just do it in the spirit of your of the original movie which widely goes from comedy to drama with no real rhyme or reason, then that makes sense, right? You just put the guy from the office there because it's it's going to have that jarring uh, effect. It's like <laughs> you have serious actor, serious actor, Kevin from the office. What? That makes sense. But if you're trying to improve on the original, then I think you cast a Jamadi or a, a David Schwimmer, maybe, you know? Is is he too hunky? Is Schwimmer too hunky for, for this character? I guess I don't know what he looks like anymore. Older, <laughs> Judah Freelander. Sadder. Give oh. Judah Freelander some work. There you go. There you go. Yeah. It's been a while since Thirty Rock. Emmenthaler enters the fray, and he has like a facial recognition technology, and with the photos they've given him of the man who exited the train, he finds the most close. Uh, I forget the phrase he uses, but, you know, the closest match in the world to him. And it's a guy who lives in Egypt and, you know, says it's like a 99 point something percentage. 
that's not here. We need someone around here. Can you lower it? So he goes down to 95% and he finds someone who looks, you know, very similar to the, the gentleman in question, but it's like at a 95%. Um, it's good enough for the movie to keep going. Likeness. Yes. And, you know, in the end, as we learn, they should have just listened to him the first go around. It really does seem by the end of the movie, just the auto character is so obsessed with wanting it to be something, wanting to be right, uh, that they're just like, all right, we got our guy. Let's load up and start firing our guns. <laughs> but then Otto will go like, well, I didn't mean us to go this far. He started it. It's all his fault. Oh, yeah. Otto and Leonard, when it starts getting real, they're just like, all right, let's back it up a bit here. There's only there's already 10 people dead. Maybe we should rethink this. <laughs> Let's run that facial recognition again. <laughs> and the death starts quickly because the gentleman from the train that they believe to be the guy they want, they go to visit his home. Uh, some words are exchanged. A gun is pulled. And uh, Mads responds by taking this guy to the ground, breaking his neck and killing him. As you do. As you do. So at this point, this is where the movie should have ended, right? Because anybody that has common sense would be like, okay, we made a big mistake. This guy, Matt Mickelson, is unhinged. He just murdered a guy in cold blood and and then kind of went for a stroll and came back and he's like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, but it's already happened. I mean, that's the thing of like, at this point in the movie, and, and when they're all so shocked, except for Emmenthaler, who just starts stomping this dude's unconscious, <laughs> or uh, not unconscious, dead body, the Otto and Leonard are like shocked at what's happening. And then the question comes in a phrase, like what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> you told this guy, this, this guy's responsible for your wife being dead. Now, did they expect him to play tiddlywinks or something? Like, you know, best this, out guy of three. Who, uh, this guy who smacked his daughter's boyfriend. We knew he was a loose cannon. Yes. And I don't know if we knew quite how loose, but Otto and Leonard have only themselves to blame in this situation. But, but then that's where they should have walked away, right? Because they drive Matt's home, and then they could have just taken off, <laughs> moved to a different city. <laughs> yeah, they drop him off, and they're like arguing about what to do as Mads just gets out of the car and walks home smoking a cigarette. <laughs> that felt good. Oh, yeah. that, that That's the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> walks home with an erection. <laughs> it hadn't happened since the war. A murder boner, as Rafi calls it on the league. Uh, <laughs> Mathilda wants him to get help, wants him to see the uh, the hospital offered therapy and psychiatrists to visit them at their home to help them with the you know the situation they're in and and help them acclimate after this traumatic event in their lives. And uh, watching this as an American, it's like, goddamn, must be nice. <laughs> Yeah, healthcare is so available over there that even Sirius is offering his mom's services as a psychiatrist. Like, everybody can help in Europe. You just have to say please. Healthcare is so plentiful that you're allowed to scoff at the idea of being given free healthcare there. Because <laughs> Mads Mickelson's like, therapy, who's that ever helped? Uh, <laughs> but she, the daughter, Mathilda, wants him to do this, and... They get caught up in this whole circle of lies. It's this tornado of fiction as she finds Emmenthaler, Leonard, and Otto at her home, and they just spin this yarn, this tale. It says, you know, uh, he's the therapist here to help us, and 
you know, we're doing like confronting therapy and all this shit. And um, Julio, are you laughing? Are you finding this funny? Because obviously it's supposed to be funny. Clearly, I was I was wondering what happened to the Benny Hill soundtrack that's supposed <laughs> to be playing in the background. Or like Two Princes by Spin Doctors. And Mads Mikkelsen just looks at Leonard and like rolls his eyes like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> How crazy is that? It, it's wild that Mads Mikkelsen has no problem with Leonard just taking his daughter and putting on a fake therapy session for, I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour. This guy that's been so protective of everything and so controlling suddenly freezes and lets these three guys, uh, these three uh, wacky scientists start running the show, put on a, a, a sitcom for, for a good chunk of the movie. It's weird. It's just like it became a different movie. Yeah, the introduction of the, you know, the trifecta of morons kind of changes the entire tone. And now it's like just short of them, like I made the joke about slipping on the banana peel. It's just short of them, like, you know, spilling a big bowl of soup on the other one because they're just kind of idiots and argue about the most inane, superfluous shit. And we talked about the monitor resolution. That's one that comes up here shortly. And and yeah, the therapy sessions are like something you'd see on an SNL sketch. It's uh, jarring is the right word to uh, explain the, the direction shift here. Matt Mickelson is so not suited for comedy anyway that it makes it even worse because he's just standing on the sidelines <laughs> every time that the movie goes full on comedy mode. They, they have nothing to do with Matt Mickelson because he's such a grim character and his personality overall is just so dry. You just see him like on the side, you know, the, the, the scientists will be doing their, their things and their arguments and whatever. And he's just in the background, <laughs> in the shadows. They, they left a witness behind at the home where they, they killed the would-be uh, conspirator of the attack, a young boy. And the writers of justice know this and end up, they don't even have to torture the, the kid. They just, you know, extract the information they need from him. It leads them to go stake out outside of Emmenthaler's apartment uh, as things just at this point completely unravel. As they go back to get his equipment, it is Marcus, Otto, and Leonard. Uh, upon arrival, the riders are waiting for him and just unload. It's a hail of gunfire in the streets. Mads is able to get his hand on a, a rifle and mows them all down in the street in a very brutal fashion, but does leave the uh, Ukrainian male prostitute alive. I can't remember... That Why? <laughs> Badashka? Well, they Badashka? asked him to. Badashka, Otto, and Leonard like, no, don't kill him. Right, but but why would he stop? He's he's an unstoppable killing He's machine. learning. Oh, oh, that's... <laughs> now he learns why you cry? Is that what yes, it <laughs> but it's something he can never do. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason he lets them, lets Badashka live is because uh, we need one more member to join the troop. We needed more wacky shenanigans because uh, now they need to pretend that he's the au pair. He's the au pair cleans the house and cooks. Looks like he's pretty good at it, though, so I wouldn't mind having a badashka around my house. Uh, we get a training montage of sorts as Marcus teaches the boys how to assemble a weapon and fire it. Emmenthaler is harder than Portland cement at the idea of this. <laughs> he, he seems as though he really wants to kill someone. And so he takes this very seriously. Marcus is, this, uh, is how you like me now montage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because Marcus is very impressed with how well and quickly Emmenthaler is able to assemble his rifle and his shooting abilities. 
so they plan an attack. Uh, they're going to go to a restaurant, a club that the leaders and the high-ranking officials of the riders usually hang out at. They're going to get them there. During all this, we get a little bit of group bonding. Otto and Mathilda are bonding, and everyone's kind of learning a little bit more about each other, and they're becoming a, a tight-knit family. Uh, they have to because they, they're all having to stay at uh, Marcus's compound because, you know, nowhere's safe now. And Matilda just buys this. She still thinks that this is all part of a some sort of government-sponsored crisis therapy. Again, <laughs> I wish I lived in a country where something as implausible could be believed to be absolutely true. Of like, hey, Joe Biden's paying for this mental health care. These three psychologists are going to come to your house and oh no 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 because so Leonard and Emmentaler Emmentaler Leonard and Emmentaler are pretending to be psychiatrists psychologists because uh, she knows Otto from the train so yes the story that they're telling her is that not only are the two psychologists living with her and her dad now but also a fellow victim a fellow survivor from the train <laughs> is is living there so, uh, as part of the therapy. Only in Europe. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Yes. And your deductible is only $5. <laughs> we give you money at the end of the year. <laughs> yes, you can claim this on your taxes. All the pizzas. On the way to the crossfire, as Emmenthaler repeatedly puts it, this is where Otto decides to take a stand and basically just says, you know, this isn't going to bring your wife back. Uh, I was okay with the first 10 people you killed. This is like, where I draw the line. Yeah. No crossfires. I didn't sign up for a crossfire. <laughs> that's it I, w- I was okay with the neck breaking and you know the the self-defense the justified homicides but in this case i I'm, i gotta remove myself from this drop me off uh, but he instead of you know taking any type of high ground moral high ground he just decides to ridicule marcus about you're doing the wrong thing this isn't going to bring your wife back uh marcus tells him shut up or i'm gonna knock you out Otto keeps running his mouth. He fucked around and he found out. Marcus <laughs> punches him in the face, knocks him out, and drops him off on the side of the road. Are you still Team Marcus here, Alex? Yes, he told him to shut up. <laughs> but now we learn a little bit more about Otto. Uh, we've seen, paying attention to the movie, he has a an atrophied arm. Clearly, there's some baggage there that we weren't really clear on. But Emmenthaler and Leonard give us the, uh, the backstory that uh, Otto was an alcoholic he was drinking and driving and got into a car wreck that irreparably damaged some of his nerves. That's why his arm's the way it is. And more pressingly and um, unfortunate, it killed his daughter. And so this is where Marcus learns a little bit more about Otto's character and, and potentially his motivations behind what's going on and uh, why he's doing what he's doing. It doesn't stop him, though, from showing up and mowing down four members of the Riders of Justice. Emmenthaler rolls up like he's going to do something. And when the time comes to pull the trigger, he just completely breaks down and can't do it. Marcus, though, has no issue doing it and tells him, it's okay, it's hard to kill a man, especially the first time. And Emmenthaler is just an inconsolable emotional wreck the entire ride home. Yeah, because this movie can't let us have a little bit of fun. Every time that that it looks like we're picking up some steam, there has to be some sob story or some sad episode, some sort of meltdown. I think that by now, and it's coming, but by now, the only character that hasn't had a major nervous breakdown is Mats Mikkelsen. I think that you can time them. Like every 10, 15 minutes, somebody just loses their shit and starts crying and falls to pieces. Uh, we've seen it happen with uh, with Leonard. Uh, we've seen it happen, of course, with Mathilde. Here we see it happen to Emmenthaler. 
And I guess in a way, Otto lost his cool, and that's when he got punched and thrown out of the car. But uh, I remember the good old days when an action movie would just have fun, would just let you just go for a ride and you just enjoy the violence and enjoy the. If there was comedy, it wasn't comedy uh, that was trying to also pull at your heartstrings. It was just. You know, isn't it funny that we just killed somebody? Didn't you have the problem as you were watching it that you you felt like they were sucking <laughs> the fun out of a out of the the cool action sequences? Or even when they're trying to do something funny, something comedic, then they have like this big dramatic moment that that kind of stops everything in its tracks. Yeah, the scene we just detailed, the way it's set up, you think we're going to get to the scene. And Emmenthaler is going to come running out like a bat out of hell, but he'll trip and drop the gun, which will trip the trigger and it'll lay on the ground and like be spinning in like a cyclone fashion, firing bullets off. And so everyone has to take cover and, you know, it's played for laughs. But instead, on the way there, we get this really fucking traumatic detailing about how one of these guys lost his daughter. And then when we get to the scene, he just breaks down and he can't do it. And it's really sad because it's, you know, put yourself in that situation. Could you kill a man? And it's like, come on, man. I thought we were building to something really fun here. I almost thought you were going to use How You Like Me Now again. <laughs> well, I think that for this, they should have... In the American remake, first of all, we get rid of all the weepy stuff. Nobody cries in the American Writers of Justice. Uh, but also, for this sequence, I think it would have to be a Kid Rock song. Just whatever he plays when he's shooting Bud Lights. Classic Kid Rock songs change melody too often to really be used in a movie but maybe like the chorus of ball with a ball you could use here yeah i mean if I, it's good enough for the gladiator trailer <laughs> the tv spots or like when cowboy kicks in yeah yeah i could see that working <laughs> brian Baumgartner running out as the crescendo of cowboy plays and that's the moment as i'm like watching it in the movie theater where i go god damn it alex was right <laughs> This, to me, is cinema. Uh, more bonding between Otto and Mathilda. And, uh, or Mathilde. I can't. I, I heard Matilda several times in it, but we'll just... Maddie, we'll, we'll stick with that. There you go. But this is where, through conversation with Badashka, Leonard figures out they done got it wrong. They got the wrong guy. And while they look a lot alike, as Emmenthaler tells him, I fucking told you, they still just can't admit it but fortunately Otto owns up to it and says you know I, I guess I just wanted it to be this so bad that I was uh, blinded by my pursuit he goes up to uh, Matt Mickelson he's like you know that movie Dark Crimes when Jim Carrey realizes that he never checked the alibi and it turns out that <laughs> his suspect wasn't even in the country when the crime happened well it turns out that the guy that I thought I saw in the train wasn't even in the country when the train blew up. And the best part is that this is woven with the gentleman in Egypt coming back from his trip, just completely burying the food in Denmark, <laughs> talking about how awful it was that he had to spit it out and go get McDonald's instead. Just tremendous piece of business. But not to overshadow the fact that through this announcement and the absorbing of this new information, Mads Mikkelsen gets two consecutive Oscar scenes. His his Oscar clips here. Because from this, he has a complete meltdown as this is happening. Shaking, crying, yelling. And it leads to him going into the bathroom in his home and completely ripping it apart and causing a lot of self-harm in the process. And I am almost 100% positive, so... Almost 100%. So that was, I am 98% positive that the Oscar clip they used for Joaquin for best actor was the scene where he rips the bathroom apart and uh, walks the line. So 
why not just recycle that here? You got Mads ripping it apart. And maybe for like the best original screenplay would be the scene where he's freaking out from like the news that he's being given. Because, you know, you kind of got some of that circular camera action and you got all four of the main players involved in this scene here. Or best original screenplay for the conclusion of the scene, because that's when Otto comes in and is like consoling him and comforting him. Either way, this is the type of shit the Academy just laps up. Your big macho machismo guy that showed no emotion the entire movie all of a sudden has some big emotional breakdown and needs to be coddled. Yeah. Otto coddles him, tells him it's okay to cry. It's like, welcome to the club. We've all been doing it the entire movie. About time you joined us. It doesn't seem like the best course of action. You're in the middle of a gang war to give yourself a concussion. But this dude just smashes his head against the mirror. By the time that they get to him, he's just lying on the floor or bloody. You would think, given that this movie is somewhat realistic, that that would be it for the Matt Mickelson character. Like, he just put himself in the hospital. But then, I want to say a scene later, he has a couple bandages on his hands, but that's it. He's back to normal. Not for long. Oh, man. They they really, like, pile these up here. Because this would be, I guess, the best supporting actor scene for Nicolaj Lee Kass, Otto, as my note calls it the dude's rock scene, where Mads <laughs> and him are having a smoke and, uh, you know, just together outside and... Otto's explaining to him, you know, you have your daughter, you need to live for her. There's a lot you still have to live for. And then Mads turns it around on him, like, you don't know what you're talking about because you killed your daughter. And it's this really heart-wrenching emotional response from Otto. And, and Otto's like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. We already, we already had a crying scene just a minute ago. That's the problem. These things are too backlogged. You need to parcel these things out. You can't just go like bang, 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 bang. The whole movie can't be loading the gun and then just firing it all off at the end. You got to, you know, have a little uh, a test shot, a little friendly fire, and then at the end, you know, unload like the last three in the clip, that type of thing. But instead here, we get an awesome scene that sadly is just drowned by what came before it. And then the immediate just onslaught, the uh, assault by the Riders of Justice that come afterwards because they have figured out where Marcus and this band of miscreants are held up. Is this the, the dumbest plot point in the movie? that the bad guys happen to follow Mathilde's boyfriend on Instagram? Well, it's not even that. It's one of their daughters comes out and is like, weren't you looking for this guy with a... How small is Denmark? (laughs) The lame arm. And they're like, yeah. And this is where they ask, who is serious? And she says, I don't know, some guy I follow. He has good recipes. You know, this is the point in the movie of like, internet. It's changed our (laughs) lives forever. (laughs) I just searched hashtag Riders of Justice and this guy came up. And so after this emotional back and forth between Otto and Marcus, Otto goes inside and Marcus realizes they done been surrounded. So he runs in and tackles Mathilde, Maddie, off the her chair and takes her down and you know in an act of protection because the bullets are just spraying through the windows and the walls. Mads gets hit a few times. Emmenthaler gets one to the fucking head. It looks like it just grazed off of it, but it's still... It, How is yeah. he not dead? He's squirting blood. Is, is this? Were you okay with this just because of wrestling? You're like, oh yeah, that that seems like a surface wound. It's just like a geyser. I mean, that happens. When the, does that happen? In real life? They, you know, the, if you get shot in the head, you're likely going to die, but there's been plenty of cases of people getting shot in the head or grazed in the head and live to tell about it. Uh, the problem with this is 
is he just kind of stands there with a giant target on his back, and despite being nicked inadvertently, they can't hit this big fat dude who's just like lumbering around. <laughs> it's like if the duck in Duck Hunt was five sizes bigger, you know, and you, 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 you can't hit it. But the the effect is not unlike the opening of Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, when that guy's head gets cut off and the blood's like squirting out. That's I don't know why, but that's what it reminded me of. But these guys are useless. Mads Mikkelsen's been shot in the back, the stomach, the the shoulder, both legs, and he's still like fucking Superman, just rolling around and killing everybody in his path. He's in bad shape, and making matters worse is the leader has his daughter. Who hid under the bed? Who hides under the bed, Alex? Hey, man. They may not have ever gotten any slasher movie ever in Denmark. <laughs> so who's to say, you know? Who's to say if she, she did the right thing or not? But be that as it may, she is, I wouldn't even say hostage. She's just on the lawn with a gun to her head. He calls out Marcus and, you know, tells him to drop his weapon. <laughs> He says, drop your weapon, and then Mads Mikkelsen starts twerking on the lawn. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is so dumb. This is really, it it just goes so badly off the rails in in this climatic sequence. Because Mads Mikkelsen has proven that he is, he may be a a psychopath, but he he knows what's up when it comes to, to action sequences. So he knows that his daughter is dead no matter what he does. Okay, so maybe Speed didn't make it to Denmark, but the whole idea is like you shoot the hostage, right? Like at this point, whether he surrenders his weapon or not, this guy's going to kill everybody in the house. So you would expect him to go out in a blaze of glory, but instead he surrenders. How? Why? How how do you make sense of that? Because he knew when the time came, Emmenthaler was going to do the right thing. (laughs) Oh, okay. He was he was just buying them time to put together the guns that they were never able to put together. Which, of course, it ends. one of them ends up shooting his daughter anyway. He puts down the gun. It looks like, you know, all hope is lost. And then the, the crew comes out toting their assault rifle. I think M10s is what he said. And they mow down the riders. Mads grabs his pistol, clips off the remaining ones. Very curt manner kills the leader who's like, what did we ever do to you? And he looks up at him and bang right in the face. But like we said, Mads is in bad shape, man. So (laughs) it looks as though he's going to die. And, you know, we get the fade to black as he's holding his daughter. He just, you know, he fades to black. He goes out. He says, (laughs) I'm just really cold. And but fortunately, somehow Mads Mikkelsen returns. We don't really see how he makes it, but it's Christmas. And everyone's good. We got a few bandages here and there, but I think we're doing all right, Julio. Which is disappointing because we've seen enough movies, Alex. This movie was clearly setting it up to where either Matt Mickelson was going to sacrifice himself so that Otto would live and then Otto would have a second chance at raising a daughter by raising Maddie, or Otto was going to sacrifice himself so that Matt Mickelson would have a chance to reconnect with his daughter. But they all survive. Nobody dies. None of the good guys die in this movie. Against all odds. Just bullshit. But probably more, more troubling is the fact that this movie seemed to be about Matt Mickelson learning that violence is not the way to solve your problems. Violence is not how you deal with grief. Right? He 
he was wrong. <laughs> he, he was, these guys may have been criminals, but they were not the people responsible for the death of his wife. And so his crusade against him was wrong. But then the movie ends with him killing them anyway. <laughs> I don't care that it's self-defense. The final statement of the movie is like, yeah, you know, we learned a little bit to get in touch with our feelings. But in the end, what really makes us happy is killing the bad guys. They can't come up with a better way to solve their conflicts. You know, you have three super smart guys. And in the end, they end up adopting the ways of the <laughs> of the violent man instead of the violent man learning from them to to solve problems a different way. It's just disappointing. A movie that raises so many, that has so much potential to explore interesting things, uh, that claims to be, like that reviewer said at the, at the beginning of the first quarter, about the new masculinity. But new masculinity is the same as the old masculinity. It's just guns and shootouts. It is like the end of uh, Joe Carnahan's A-Team, where Baracus' entire arc is realizing that it's okay to kill. <laughs> Mads is just like, I don't know, maybe this killing thing's not for me anymore. 50 dead bodies later. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> The only thing that they should have done at the end that would just to completely underline it would be that one of the presents, or actually every one of the scientists opened their, their Christmas presents and they're all guns. Yes. Handguns. <laughs> Handguns and like an AR-15 and he's like, soldiers in line and they all line up. <laughs> Instead, we get a musical number. Yeah. Little drummer boy. Uh, yeah this movie's really fucking hard to be negative about because this movie fucking rules julio i don't know about that we'll (laughs) we'll talk about that during real talk yeah i'm sorry do we have anything else to discuss here because i'm i'm kind of jumping the gun uh, no, I think we made it to the end. Some girl is riding a blue bike now, a stolen blue bike. Uh, that's oh, yes, the I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, listeners. I didn't conclude the film before heading into the second half. We find that Mads, uh, Marcus's gift to uh, Mathilda is um, a new bike, a red bike, and we find the blue bike that she had that was originally stolen was given to our character from the beginning of the movie, the girl by her grandpa. And so... Uh, so it's what's snowing. It mean? <laughs> it's snowing, and she takes the bike out for a spin, and it's wonderful. Is it wonderful, Alex? That in order for that little girl to have her blue bike, so many innocents and not so innocents uh, had to die. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm out now. I'm I'm done. I can't be negative about it anymore. So yes, it was worth it <laughs> for your entertainment. <laughs> All right, let's go to real talk. Thank you.